And really, it sounds like a pop star jacking off. A star seed. Well, hello, Michelle. Hi. How you going? That's a croaky hi. I'm good, thank you very much. How about yourself? Your good self. I'm great, as you can see. Actually, you can't see me. No one can see you, Michelle. No one can see you. Just me. Thank God. This is the beauty of the pod because you've got a face for radio. I do today. I'm covered in dust. I've got a beanie on. So, yes, thankfully, I'm shielded from the listeners. Yes. And that's the way it should be, Michelle, because it's a podcast. I know, but I will say I'm not in the robe. No, she is bereft of her robe today, listeners. Those of you who are regular eavesdroppers will know that Michelle has a listening robe. No, what is it? A talking robe. What do, what do we call it? Robe fetish. She wears a robe every week, week in, week out, because it's nice and soft. A little bit grubby. It's not. Oh, my God. And it makes no sound when she's <gasps> gesticulating during a conversation, a.k.a. an eavesdropping episode, of which you, dear listener, are now eavesdropping on. So, well done to you. I'm Geordie. And I am... And Michelle, officially you are eavesdroppers. Well done. Congrats. Yeah. Go for it. We allow it. In fact, we actively encourage it. Of course we do. I'm actually also glad we're not visually able to be seen right now because I went wild on that Vegemite toast you told me to have. Oh. I did. Is it around your mouth? It's in the braces. That's what <laughs> happens. She's a grown woman. I know. I will say though, toast, it's the devil's food. You cannot stop at one piece. And of course, carbs we're not allowed them are we michelle we're just not allowed them Who fucking says people that? say everybody says oh you mustn't eat them you mustn't eat carbs toast that's the worst one loaded up with butter and a little scraping of vegemite or marmite because i'm in england well i had the vegemite it's out of date but no one needs to know that well actually do you know what i don't care because i think vegemite you could be 10 years out of date it gets better with age like a fine wine it's so full of salt there's no way that shit's going <laughs> off i think out of date vegemite no one cares it's de bomb she says so everyone go out and maybe don't because that's one of those don't try this at home moments i think michelle people if you have anything out of date in your cupboards don't eat it possibly just because we said doesn't mean you should do it i mean would you stick your head in the oven if michelle said so no well going back to out of date food do you not eat out of date food of course i do you know who i'm married to he's the food hoarder i know everything has a yellow sticker in your house which means you've got to eat it quick otherwise it really does go out of date but if you sniff that milk and it smells fine drink it don't drink it don't drink oh i see yes if it smells, if fine. It smells yeah. fine drink it if it's got lumps yes down the sink. Use your brain. That's what you do. Use your, all your senses. Eyes, ears, nose, throat. I have friends who will throw away things two days before the use by because they don't want to risk it. Wow, that's extreme. Common sense. And that goes with life, Michelle, as well, doesn't it? The old common sense. Yes. Use all your senses that you have, that you have access to to, you know, figure it out. Any given situation. Yeah. What's she on about? What? Huh? Silly bitch. What? I'm about to go off to Champagne. We discovered how to pronounce the uh, the capital of the Champagne region, didn't we? It's spelled R-I-E-R-E-I or R-E-M-S? I think it's R-E-I. Well, we know how to pronounce it though, yeah. don't we? After three, Michelle. One, two, three. Yes! It literally has the sound of no consonants and no vowels. Well, one Except consonant S. and S and no vowels. Yes. Which is confusing because you usually don't say the last 
consonant of a French word. No. But on this occasion, you do. Yes. <laughs> People always get champagne names wrong as well. One particular one that bothers me, because you know how I don't like it when things are mispronounced. Mm. I have to really let that go because it's a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? Cunty? It's a bit cunty. <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a, a dick move when you say, oh, mum, that's not how you say that. Belina. Belina. The champagne that I'm talking about, can you guess what it is? It's got two different words in it. And the first word is actually Dutch, but the second is a French word. And people get it confused. There's no umlauts in the French language, people. So moe is not right. It's moet, moet, and chardon. It is moet. So I can never tell if people in Australia are saying moe for short because they call everything for short. They know it's Moet, but they just want to say <laughs> Maui. <laughs> no, do you know what? I think it's because it sounds nice. Orally, I like to hear it. I think my mouth likes to say what? Moet. 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 Of course, we all know it's Moet. In fact, actually, now I say Moet. I quite like the sound of that too. Don't say any word too many times. Otherwise, it all Because then it gets weird. weird in your mouth. Yeah. And in your ear. Let's move on. Let's move on from that word. <laughs> well, so I have got a telly wreck. Oh, have you? I watched this series called Dear Edward, mainly because it's got Connie Britton in it, and I like her. We love her hair, don't we? She's we got do. Great hair. She has got great hair. And do you know what I really, really love about Connie Britton in this series? She gives zero fucks about trying to look young. I don't think she's had any work done. She's just yeah. looking great, healthy, looking her age. She yep. is a role model for all women. Yeah. To just age the way you meant to. Good on you, Connie. She looks great. Yeah, dear Edward. It was surprisingly emotional. Oh, okay. I, I quite enjoyed it. It was based on a book by Anne Napoletano, apparently. I'll give you the basic premise because it all happens in the first sort of, you know, 10 minutes of okay. the series. A flight in America goes down, crashes, crash mm. and burns, mm. and only one survivor. And it's a little boy called Edward. Oh. And so then it's all about the interwoven lives of the people left behind <gasps> who are really, they're the ones who are devastated. And I really enjoyed it. I think it was an Apple original okay. or something. So give it a whirl, people. I will. I thought you were going to start talking about what you talked about last week which was, of course, the 9-11 conspiracy theories. It was fascinated, by the way, Michelle. Don't know if you've had any feedback about that. And if you haven't heard it and you're interested in that kind of thing, Michelle talked about 9-11, what happened, the conspiracy theories, of which there are plenty. I then went on to talk about the Achille Lauro boat hijacking, yeah, which was quite tragic as well. I think with the 9-11 thing, there's less emotional charge because it's been over 20 years. Mm. People don't get so heightened emotionally talking about it. And I think the conspiracy theories, we have a different perspective 20 years on. Mm. Although people, if they want to believe, they will. Well, I heard something on the radio this week. I was listening to Absolute 80s, which plays all music from <laughs> the 80s. But I didn't choose to listen to it. It was just on where I was working. I was horrified that I knew all these songs and I knew all the words. It was quite a blast from the past. But the announcer, she played the song Stop by Sam Brown. Hey, you better stop before you go and break. That one where she's screaming. I know and that singing. one. She's an amazing singer. Well, guess what happened to Sam Brown? What? Well, she went through a marriage breakup in 2006 her song by the way came out stop came out in 1986 and she had the most incredible vocal it was a great song actually it was yeah 
And she went through a marriage breakup in 2006, lost her voice, never came back. What? Never came back. Oh, my God. This woman who loves singing, who is a great singer. She was also Mm -hmm. a backing singer, I think, before she had her solo hit. She could never do it again. That's her bread and butter. So she turned to teaching the ukulele, which she does all over the world. Sydney, Dorset, everywhere. Online, probably. And thanks to Mm -hmm. AI or an app, a voice tuning app, she's released a new album. What? I don't know how. Oh, well, I mean, it's called auto-tune. You just put that shit in and it fucking tunes the fuck out of it and you end up sounding Goodness, like... the language. Sorry, listeners. Wow. It's incredible what you can do with it. Do you remember that Michelin-starred chef in America who lost his sense of taste after having a cold or something? What did he do? Well, he had to use his mind and memory to think, okay... I remember that if I put this together, I have to kind Mm. of add this much salt. He still had the creativity. He just couldn't taste it. Fucking terrible, isn't it? Isn't it awful? It's like those violinists who Mm -hmm. then get cancer of the chin and they can't play the violin anymore because, you know, it presses up. Put a pin in that. You know what? I'm currently doing a project about deafness and when you lose a sense that's so important Mm. and really you need those five senses I've been talking about senses all the way through so far when you lose one how do you cope Mm. how do you cope with that tragic loss of losing a sense I was watching the documentary with John Bishop and his son Joe who through a, a virus developed a syndrome that meant he lost his hearing and he's been losing it gradually since he was 16 and they weren't embracing it at all. Now they are. And John Bishop actually went off and learnt British Sign Language to do a gig in BSL, which is amazing because mm. there's a whole other audience out there. He had to change his jokes because the deaf audience wouldn't necessarily get some of his jokes. Yeah. when he did, Even if he did them in sign language, they weren't funny. <laughs> he had to be adaptable. Yeah. Or they are funny normally, but not to a deaf audience. You have to target it differently. It's really interesting. And speaking of senses, Michelle, that kind of brings me to what I'm talking to you about today. That sixth sense, it's popped up again. Ooh, I love it. Psychic children. Oh, my God. Have you ever heard of a star seed? No. Okay. Or what about an indigo child? This was actually sent to me by our modern mystic, Tamira. Thank you, Tamira. She wrote in. She's been rewarded by hearing her name on the podcast. Tamira, thank you. She sent a little article about indigo children, and I didn't know what they were. So I did a little bit of digging around, rooting around. I came across... This is an interesting website of which you will link it up, Michelle, because I'm going to send it to you. But there's a woman who is a medium called Julie Evans. Now, she's got nothing much to do with the story, but she had a really interesting post on her medium Mm -hmm. website. It was an article that explored the links between UFOs and far-right supremacy. Now, that's beside the point, but it was just really interesting. And it linked the article to those two things and it went all the way around from like it had a timeline from when UFOs were first discovered even before that to when Hitler was rising and how it all linked together it was a very interesting article but she also talked about star seeds because they do come into the far right conspiracy theories a little bit that's something that I only ever heard about through people who do believe in QAnon let's call it let's say that well I've never heard of a star seed. Never had a star seed. And really, it sounds like a pop star jacking off. A star seed. <laughs> I, 
was just saying. That's what it sounds like. Your mind. Your mind. Yeah, I know it's filthy. Filthy. I know, I know. But a star seed, you know, it doesn't conjure up nice images for me. But I did think... Nice? Well, it's supposed to be nice, I think. Okay. But I do think there is something in this idea of magical thinking, far right, conspiracy yeah. theories, UFOs. I do, right? I yeah. do think there is something in that. If you don't know what QAnon is, I've mentioned it now a couple of times. Mm. We talk about it a lot on this podcast. But go Google it or listen to a previous episode because I, I can't be bothered to tell you right now, people. I want to tell you about star seeds. I'll link it up. Thank you. So a star seed mm-hmm. are individuals, mostly children, who believe – Or okay, so the children won't believe this. Their, their parents will tell them. But if you're a grown-up, you might think that you're a star seed and you will know that you are from – another dimension and you've been sent to earth to heal the planet to guide humanity into the golden age of prosperity and happiness thank you love this to you star seeds thank you michelle you and i are star seeds we are not star seeds <laughs> no we are earth souls which is the opposite of a star seed and that means that we can only reincarnate here on earth that's the only place that we can reincarnate but the star seeds have actually been reborn from another planet or another dimension and born here on earth so they're intergalactic traveling souls if you like and they can transport between galaxies via meditation and communicate in something called a light language light language okay yes michelle you have a question it's not so much a question as i i just have to call bullshit on that <laughs> Already? I've just started. Just on part of it because I feel like this whole thing is, oh, you can only reincarnate on Earth. Well, actually. You know better? No, but I feel like if you're a soul, isn't it the whole thing of there's no dimensions, there's no time? Possibly. Yeah, I just feel like. To be honest. It's quite contained. Yeah, I haven't given it a lot of thought myself. Well, it just jumped out as being like a a bit of a dodgy fact. Okay. However... The whole thing, quite frankly, at the moment is... Is sounding quite bullshitty. Well, it's a bit of a wait and see. I'm keen to hear what you say Let next. Let me tell you. Exactly. Now, they can communicate in the light language, which I told you about. And we have spoken mm. about light language previous episodes ago. I can't remember how or why, but I believe you've raised it. Light language. Or I have. Could have been. Mm. We forget. It's a form of communication that's said to bypass human limitations and is the true language of the soul. And I got all that mm. information from Julie Evans's Medium article, which was also talking about the UFOs, etc. Now, there's a book called Gods of Aquarius by Brad Steiger. 1976, this book came out. And it introduced the ideas of people from other dimensions. And, of course, the most famous starseed came to our attention on January 6th, 2021, while storming the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and his name is Jake Angeli, a.k.a. the QAnon Shaman. He thinks he's a starseed, you see. Does that surprise you? A.k.a. fake Jamiroquai. That guy, yeah. That guy, <laughs> yeah, right. So he's a starseed. Mm, Self-confessed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. self-confessed Interesting. But if you go back, like I just mentioned that guy's book, The Age of, what was it, The Gods of Aquarius by Brad Steigers mm-hmm. in 1976. But there's also links back to Alistair Crowley, one of our old faves that we often talk about on this podcast. He's a very, very dead old occultist <laughs> whose Order of the Golden Dawn, which was his own sect, they all thought of themselves as an elite group, let's say, poised to help humanity evolve into the best versions of themselves, if you like, maybe kind of what the starseeds reckon they're doing. Part of what they were doing involved 
occult eugenics. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Alistair Crowley's Golden Dawn and others, other occultists were involved in the Golden Dawn. They thought you could draw down powers from the stars and the spirit world during sex and during pregnant, like when pregnancy was happening, to produce what Alistair Crowley called a moon child. Or a star seed, if you like. You know, they're all same, same, but different. Yeah. Wow. So during sex, what do you have to do when you're shagging? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Go and have a read of one of Crowley's books. I don't know. But enough about this fantastical notion, because the reason I fell into this rabbit hole about star seeds is because I was researching the topic that was sent from Tamira, our very own modern mystic, which was about indigo children of which I had never heard. And Michelle, you have also admitted you've never heard of indigo children either. They're slightly different to a starseed. Slightly different. Okay. Okay. Lay it on me. Wikipedia calls indigo children a pseudoscientific new age concept where said children are believed to possess special, unusual and sometimes supernatural traits or abilities such as, ready to get your little tick list out, extreme empathy, sensitivity a high level of intuition and psychic ability an innate spirituality a deep desire to help the world a special bond with animals and nature stubbornness a feeling of being an outsider as well as the overall knowingness that you are unique and meant to do big things all of this is based on concepts developed in the 1970s by a woman called nancy ann tapp who is an internationally acknowledged synthesis let me say that again Synesthete? I've never heard the word before. I'm going to spell it. Synesthete. Synesthete. Have you heard about it before? S-Y-N-E-S-T-H-E-T-E. You got it. That's the one. I think that is... What, what, how do you say it? Synesthete. Synesthete. Like synergy. It's a creative... It's a creative thinker. Uh-huh. I guessed. I guessed at that. Her website... Now, she passed away in 2012. Her website says the following... Nancy was the owner of colorology, the study of the personality through the science of color. Colorology, that just sounds so hokey. Colorology. It's the study of the personality through the science of color and spent years teaching students how to develop new paradigms of consciousness and the timelessness of metaphysics. That's from her website. Wow. She can see auras, basically. Mm -hmm. And somehow she noticed in the 70s or whenever a lot of children being born with indigo auras from 1978 oh. into the late 1980s. Now you know what now I'm talking about. I understand the why they're called indigo children. Indigo. Okay. So this led her to believe that there was a new wave of spiritual leaders. So they preempt the star seeds. Although if star seeds were real, they would have been around forever and we would have known about them for a long time. But maybe they were indigos and now they're star seeds but they're slightly different because mm. indigos don't really think they come from another planet i don't think no i think they're just born psychic empaths basically exactly we know now how the name came about through the color of their auric field which is supposed to be a, a variety of colors but obviously the indigos will just be this strong royal blue color mm. and nancy ann's ideas were then adapted and worked on by an American author called Lee Carroll, who first identified indigos in his 1999 book, The Indigo Children, The New Kids Have Arrived. I thought you were going to say New Kids on the Block. So indigo children, much like your star seeds, etc., are highly driven and creative with a perception that sees through the established norms of society. So let's face it, they're a little bit different. Mm. Their mission, much like the starseeds, is to usher in a change of thinking and being from the existing world. 
Some believe indigos are the next stage in human evolution, and some have paranormal abilities like telepathy. What's that noise? I'm really sorry, listeners, if you can hear this. Is it flushed? No, it's a helicopter basically on the roof of the house next door. Oh, my God. Hopefully it's not too loud. Bloody hell. Yeah. Anywho, where was I? It is also thought, like you said, Michelle, that they are more empathetic or empathic. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is the right word to use in that moment. They're both grammatically correct. Okay. Continue. So they're also very creative, more so than their peers. Michelle! Would you like to know if you're an indigo? I already know I am. No, I... Yes. I reckon you probably think you are. <laughs> Answer these questions for me. True or false? Ready? I can easily discern what other people are thinking and or feeling. Yeah, of course. Really? <laughs> I consider myself and or other people consider me wise beyond my years. Oh, always. Um, yes. Hang on. <laughs> I tend to have an unconventional personality or temperament. No. I do. I tend to be highly sensitive to the environment around me. Yeah. Nah, I don't. What? Well, I said I don't. I feel as though I have an inner mission that I must fulfill. No. 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 I've got no fucking purpose in life. (laughs) We're we're Gen Xs. We don't have any purpose. I'm often perceived by other people as strange or odd. That's definitely me, but maybe not you. I don't know how other people see me. Well, you'd know. Put it this way. I wasn't a loner at school or anything like that. Write in, people. Write in. Right in. I'm very in touch with my intuition and often use it to guide me. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's me. What about this one? I'm sensitive to processed foods, additives, refrigerants and red meat. You are because you're a vegetarian. I love Asian noodles. Bit of processed. Full of fucking MSG and I cannot get enough. So no. Although I do get a tummy ache afterwards. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe you're an indigo Mm. child because of that. I am intelligent but I don't always get the best grades. <laughs> Street smarts. Yeah, I'm, I'm life smart. I was educated school of life. I'm creative and enjoy making things with my hands. Mm, not with my hands. Yeah? I'm creative, no. mentally creative. Okay. I enjoy knowing why things are done. Uh, no. Uh, thank you I cannot sure. read a fucking manual. Nor can I. You have to interpret all the instructions I for know me. and I hate it. I can't do manuals. I, Sorry. No, it's okay. I will do it if pressed. But if not, I give every single manual to Andreas, like, fucking work this out and just show me. Read it. Read it, show me. Yeah. Hate manuals. Me too. I was rebellious in school and didn't enjoy doing homework or respecting authority figures. I like that. A little bit. I felt existential depression, helplessness and suicidal thoughts often growing up. We don't have to answer that if you don't want to. No. <laughs> I have often felt like my voice doesn't count, especially in terms of politics. No, don't care about that. I have recurring dreams that I can easily remember. Yep. I tend to attract emotionally unbalanced people who need healing. No. I've partaken in destructive behavior like alcohol and drug abuse. You don't need to answer that. I am extremely passionate about what my life's mission means and how that affects and relates to my time on earth. No. Probably not. <laughs> we're done with the cues. Indigo Are children. <laughs> no, we're not. Indigo children aren't big fans of school. And you'll often hear a parent say such things as, you can't discipline my child. She's an indigo. Oh, my God. Get over yourself. 
Some folk from the science and medical community, now this is where you'll find it interesting, Michelle, think that the indigo child concept was actually invented as a way of denying ADHD and autism diagnoses. Hmm. So those who don't want that diagnosis, they have found another way to describe what they might be seeing or experiencing in their child's behaviour. Look, if you see what I mean. First of all, labels, I have two ways of thinking about it. First of all, I think that sometimes they're beneficial, other times they're quite negative, depends on the label but I also think we all knew the weird kids at school there were always weird kids at school they actually you know are running apple and fucking whatever now but (laughs) don't kind of hide it don't act like it's something else well they're not hiding it oh I see Mm. the indigos yes if they yeah well maybe some people just don't acknowledge it I, I don't know so as a result of that a lot of indigo children have difficulty in schools and socially And they might actually have ADHD, autism or a learning difficulty that is overlooked, you see. And those prescribed Ritalin say it won't work as these indigos are only trying to cope with the pressure of being trapped in earthly bodies whilst helping humanity achieve greatness. And it's a lot to deal with. They can't handle it. That's why they're acting out, you see. It's too much. But are these what indigos say about themselves? Or is this somebody... Yeah, interpre- or their parents. Right. Depression is another marker for an indigo, along with low self-esteem, addictions, and sometimes suicidal ideation can show up. And these feelings are also a result of difficulties of being the chosen ones against a sea of ordinary humans. But the worst thing you can do with an indigo experiencing all these things is ignore or mock them because they're extremely sensitive, Michelle. Boo-hoo. Now listen to this. I've got some examples now of indigo children who have been recorded as declaring that they are an emperor from another planet who had fallen into his mother's womb by accident or another child who was known to have conversations with gnomes. And indigos as adults do suffer depression more frequently due to the inability to fulfill their destiny in the changing world. Now, during my research, I came across this wonderful article from John Ronson, who we love, Mm. in The Guardian from 2006. And in it, he describes attending a meeting for indigo kids and spoke mostly with the group organiser, who was also the mother of an indigo child, whose name was Nikki Harwood. Now, she appeared in a Channel 4 documentary called Cutting Edge, My Child's Psychic, and you can still see that on YouTube. Okay. In the show, there's a lady called Simone who tells viewers that her eight-year-old son, Oliver, thinks he sees dead people. He described something very like the Japanese film, The Ring, where he saw a little girl with black hair all over the front of her face climbing awkwardly Mm. over their garden fence in Harrow. Mm. But when Oliver was three, he was at a different friend's house on top of the climbing frame and he could see into the field across and he was yelling, train, and pointing over the fence. And after some investigation, his mother discovered that there'd been a railway line that passed through the field where he was pointing. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Simone said Oliver was her youngest of five boys with a significant gap and that he'd always been different even as a baby and he couldn't concentrate at school, couldn't sit still. He even had a brain scan and unusual electricity was noticed. And then by chance, she met this GP called Dr. Munchie. (laughs) Her real name was Mangia Samantha Lawton, a.k.a. Dr. Munchie. Don't know why. 
She'd overheard Simone describing Oliver's symptoms. She was wondering whether Oliver had ADHD and Dr. Munchie piped up and said it sounded very much like Oliver was in fact a highly evolved indigo child and that he couldn't concentrate because he was being distracted by genuine psychic experiences. She said indigo children were springing up all over the world all at once, all unconnected to each other and that there were thousands of them in every country and their parents weren't all New Age hippies, but ordinary families discovering their children were super evolved, psychic. And eventually they would all rise up and heal the planet. So Ronson eventually visits a meeting for these Indigo kids in Chatham in Kent and speaks to Nikki Harwood, who I mentioned at the top there, whose daughter Heather is Indigo. Also, Nikki Harwood said something about her being with a baby recently, like somebody who had a baby she visited, and she said to the baby in her mind, Hello, sweetheart. And the baby looked shocked as if to say, how did you know that I can communicate with you using my thoughts? Or the baby just farted. Could have been. Little poop in the nappy. Whoops. (laughs) Also, Nikki did this thing in the meeting where she got the indigo kids, like half of them were blindfolded and the other half had to communicate with the blindfolded ones through telepathy and guide them from one end of the room to the other. But of course, it didn't work out that way. And Nikki's yelling. So this is John Ronson's article. He's detailing how Nikki's shouting at them, saying, you're not listening. They're telling you to stop telepathically. And the kids are saying, I can't hear it. That didn't work out necessarily. And what was John Ronson's take on the whole thing? That it was bullshit. He doesn't really give his opinion. He just kind of reports it a little bit here and there. But he did say that Nikki also told her about another girl who was 13 years old in the group who always feared being starved to death. And she used to hide food all over the house. But then they regressed her into her past life and found that she had been locked in a room by her mother and starved to death. And she also sees dead people walking all around her house. And at some Mm. point, another medium called the police on Nikki and said that she was damaging these children emotionally. Oh, shit. Mm. Okay. So that was John Ronson's report. And then... I found another report from the Dallas Observer reporting on the interest in indigo children. And in the report, which was published, the reporter asked an eight-year-old boy if he was indigo. And the boy said, I'm an avatar. I can recognize the four elements of earth, wind, water and fire. So they ran the article and then they received all these readers writing in to say that there's a Nickelodeon show, which my children watch actually, called Avatar the last airbender, where this avatar has the power to bend earth, wind, (laughs) water and fire. (laughs) Whoops, someone didn't do their research. (laughs) No, they were like, oh my God, we we could do a whole article about this and it was all just a rip off. But kids do this. Yes. They're little sponges. They are. But coincidentally, during the week when I was doing the research for this, I was speaking to a friend who has been diagnosed as autistic in adulthood. And they told me that there's been a link between autism and sensory supernatural experiences in autistic people. And they themselves have personally experienced times when they knew what was about to happen before it did, which is the sensory supernatural. That's what that indicates. You know something's going to happen, then it happens. I'm really fascinated by this, actually. I wonder how much research has been done into this well, like autism link. There is some articles which they linked me to in Psychology Today. There was one by Deborah Schumann-Kaufland, PhD, 
who wrote the article, Are Autistic Kids Magnets for Ghosts? And in this article, she says, Because autistic children process information and see the world differently, they may be more likely to see strange things. They often witness activities way before anyone else in the home. They are more sensitive to nuances and they cannot lie. If they look at the ceiling and react as if someone is talking to them, you should not naturally assume it is a ghost. You must also consider the possibility of a hallucination. Medications or mental illness can certainly also have that effect. But then she went on to say in this article, there's a story of a woman called Melissa, who was a single mum to a 12-year-old autistic child called Daniel. And ever since he was little, Daniel would look up at the ceiling and react to something that no one else could see. Mm. Daniel would draw pictures of an old man in a cowboy hat and say things like, he here, pointing to the ceiling. Wow. Melissa would worry about her son's mental health. And she even took him to a neurologist that found nothing wrong, but referred him to a psychiatrist. And despite not showing any other signs, poor Daniel was diagnosed diagnosed by the psychiatrist as psychotic which was a devastating blow to the family but Daniel wasn't the only family member to see the old cowboy no yes Melissa's mother and Daniel's nine-year-old brother had both seen and heard the man as well then a neighbor saw the cowboy which got Melissa thinking something wasn't adding up about Daniel's psychosis diagnosis So she researched the area and discovered other people in the neighborhood who strange things had happened to in their homes as well. Things moving on their own, doors slamming when the windows were closed, lots of unusual, unexplained phenomena in the whole neighborhood. What the fuck was going on? Was it the scene of some kind of battle? Doesn't say. I want to know. Doesn't say in the article, but Melissa was convinced that Daniel and her entire family were having a paranormal experience. And once they accepted that... The activity died Hmm. down. And that is the end of my story, Michelle. So I wonder what you made of that. I mean, I started at Starseeds, moved on to Indigo Children, ended on autism and ADHD, mainly autism, really, being Indigo is another way of explaining autism. Mm. Is there some relevance to that? Yeah, but it's not across the board. You know, it's not like you can have an interchangeable diagnosis here, I don't think. No, it's not interchangeable, but do you think they're connected? I mean, look, I have to look into this more, but on a surface level, no. What do you make of it then? I think there could be a connection between autism and them being able to sense. I agree with that. I think there's something to that. If your brain is processing information differently, then you're going to pick up things that other people don't see. Being an indigo child and autism, I don't know. To me, it maybe feels a little bit like I don't want my my child to have a negative label of being autistic. And I'm not saying that it is, but in society, it can be perceived as a negative trait. So instead, they are a very special being called an indigo child. Yes. So I'm not sure about that side of it. But either way, Mm. like that's just personal opinion. Please don't come after me for having don't write it on that occasion (laughs) thanks but no thanks but super interesting and a lot of food for thought there amazing so there you go where do you go before i get into my little story i just want to say we did have some some listener feedback from our wellness oh. episode, oh, particularly yeah. on the penis facial. 
Oh, the penis, yes. People weren't happy about that, Michelle. You seem perfectly at ease with the whole thing. For me, I had trouble processing that info. Look, I don't have a problem with it in the same way that other people do. I mean, you know, I was talking to Jen. <laughs> Jen had a few things to say about the penis facial. What did she think? She just said, oh, I just don't like the idea of those little Korean boys having their foreskins popping that on your face. And I was like, I don't actually think it's a foreskin on the face. I think they do. <laughs> it's the stem cells. I mean, maybe I got that wrong. I'm not sure Jen really thought it was a foreskin. Like a load of foreskins oh, all over your face. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, just dripping off. Just pop one. Stop. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Stop it. And just the idea that this facial smelt like sperm. Maybe not so nice. But anyway, thanks, guys, for all your, your feedback on that. All the feedback. What else is there? Oh, yes, we did get some feedback from our regular listener, Baxter's mother, Karen, who sent me a picture of her face when she listened to that fact. And it was aghast is the word I'll use. It was like scream face. So, yeah. <laughs> but if you've got any uh, thoughts on the penis facial, please do get in touch. We love that stuff. Now, on to the main event. Let's do it. So, Geordie, on this podcast, yes. we, me, you, all of us, we love a psychic detective. Oh, we do. And I found a new one. Oh. His name's Mike. Mike Baker. Mike. Mike. Okay. He's 79 now and in his lifetime has actually lived in your neck of the woods. Really? Southwest London at various points in his life. Oh. Yeah, I know. You might have bumped into Mike at the supermarket. You never know. He might have eavesdropped on us. If he knows what's good for him, he probably has. Over the years, uh, this guy, he has used his psychic skills to help police solve murders. You know, he's not just like ringing in with some hot tips. He's actually been engaged by the police. Which is funny because sometimes they don't like to acknowledge that, do they? No, they don't. And this is kind of on the down low. There's not a lot of information about Mike on the internet. But what I did find out is that Mike's parents used to run a meditation circle at their house in South Bristol every week Mm. when he was a kid. Uh I did the math. I did the math. Uh, We're talking sort of 1940s, 1950s. When he was a kid. And the article I actually use as my main source today is uh, the Bristol Post, where Mike gave an interview and talked all about his life as a psychic detective. How interesting. Yeah, really interesting. But they did kind of gloss over this meditation circle, which I think sounds a bit Wiccan, witchy, mm-hmm. coveny mm-hmm. kind of gatherings. Yeah. But they just brushed over it. Okay. I don't know for sure. But essentially, he knew pretty early on that he had psychic ability. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was an indigo child. Maybe he was a star seed. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> write in, Mike. Let us know what you, what you think. The thing is, his parents obviously were... I say a bit witchy. I don't know that for certain. That's your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it is my opinion. That's not <laughs> fact. That's an opinion. What is fact is his parents did notice that he had this kind of psychic ability. Yeah. And they really nurtured it. And by the age of 23, Mike, you'd think, would be on this path of, oh, you know, mm. spiritual stuff. No, he was a tradie. I was going to say, I bet he's a window cleaner or something really hands-on. Yeah, working as a carpenter. Oh. But... It's sort of his side hustle was as a bit of a spiritualist medium. 
And apparently he had a spiritual connection with a spirit guide oh. who was an American Indian oh. yeah, right. called Sukata, oh. who apparently was a Sioux Indian who had died in the Battle of Little Bighorn. Okay. I don't actually, I say side hustle, but I don't really think he was pushing himself as a psychic. He just knew he had this gift and he knew he could channel his spirit guide. But it wasn't until 10 years later when Mike was in his early 30s, still working as a tradie, still living in the southwest of London, that he learned about a 10-year-old girl called Alison Chadwick who had mysteriously vanished from her home on the morning of Saturday, June 22 in 1974 oh. in Witten, Middlesex. So there was a massive police search for Alison. went on for weeks, mm. but it came to nothing, Geordie. There was absolutely no trace of this little girl mm. and no clues as to where she was or what had happened to her. But 10 days after Alison went missing, while Mike was working on a building site, he received a message from Sakata, his spirit guide, mm. telling him, you've got to go to the police. Because Sakata knew what had happened to Alison. Oh, my God. And he started to tell Mike a lot of the details. Uh -uh. Don't tell me at all because it makes him look like he's guilty. Well, exactly. But th And this is the thing because Mike did not know what to do because... Yeah. It's like, shut up, Sakata. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know. You get me into trouble. He said in this article about Sakata giving him this information, he said... This was very different to being able to speak to a grandmother from beyond the grave. This was walking into a police station as a psychic in the middle of a major police investigation. So he had reservations and mm. by all accounts, he did not want to do it. I get that. He felt uncomfortable yeah, about it. I would. Yeah, I get it too because he probably thought they were going to think he was a crackpot or like you said, like another psychic we talked about on this very podcast who found... Not one, but two bodies in recent years. It's looking good. Mm -mm. Well, you know it's possible that the police could turn it round yes, and, and in, point the finger at you. In lieu of another suspect. Exactly. And, you know, you're essentially a good Samaritan mm. going into the police station, coming forward with info. Lots of knowledge that may or may not be accurate. You tick a couple of boxes, that's it. You're inside. You're in the slammer. Yeah. So I get why he'd be hesitant. But he did suck it up. And he did go to the police. And again, these are his words. He says, when I walked into Brentford Police Station and told them I could help, they didn't believe me. They said, I look more like a rugby player than a psychic. <laughs> and look, I've actually seen pics of Mike in his younger days. He's ripped. He's absolutely <laughs> fucking ripped. There's a picture of him with no shirt on. <gasps> Mike? He looks like a jacked up bear. Oh my God, you know, Mike. He's like, Mrah. And then there's actually pics of him when he's older. Yeah. And to be fair, he's got a bit of a Silver Fox, oh. Gary Lineker oh. kind of oh. look about him. Once you said Gary Lineker, I went off him. But okay, <laughs> I get it. I like an older man. You know that. Yeah, I'm all for the younger ones. But I get why they were like, mate, you look like a rugby player, not a psychic. <laughs> because he doesn't look like a little wistful guy with a crystal ball or anything. Right. I don't know. He looks like a tradie, basically. Okay. But... To Mike's credit, he said to them, give us a cup of tea in an hour and a photo of that little girl. Put me in a quiet spot within the police station and 
you know, I'll give you some info. And yeah. the Brentford police, to their credit, were like, okay, go for it. Why not? So, yeah, they found him a little quiet corner mm-hmm. and he began working with Sakata, the spirit guide. Okay. And Mike then started to like write down loads and loads of notes, which he then gave to the police after he'd finished chatting with Sakata, chatting, channeling even, chatting, channeling. <laughs> and look, I don't know if the police were just humouring him or they just wanted, you know, this weirdo out to get the fuck out of their station. Yeah. But they took the notes and they were a bit kind of like, don't call us, we'll call you, we'll be in touch, thanks a lot, see you later. Yeah. And Mike says he thought that would be the end of it. He'd done what Sakata had asked him to do. He'd gone to the police, he'd given the info, and then Mike was on his way. However, a week later, the police called Mike and asked if they could come round to his house for a bit of a chat. Uh And these are Mike's words. He says, they came into my house and said to me that I had written down things that only two people would know. The person responsible for the disappearance of the girl Mm. and her mother. (gasps) And they asked me if I was some kind of super psychic. Okay. Now, I don't know if Mike was into that title, but he did fish out for the police a certificate that did show that he was a member of the Spiritualist National Union in the UK. There's a union? Apparently, or there at least was back then in the 70s. So I think at this point, the police sort of started to take his info quite seriously. And also the fact that he had given them this info that no one else knew. Right. And at this stage, Mike was actually doing services at a spiritualist church and was doing one that Sunday. So he said to the police, come on down, you know, come to the spiritualist church. I think he wanted them to see him in action. I mean, I don't know if they were sort of half into it, half not, but he wanted them to know that he was the real deal. Turns out one of the things that Mike had channeled from Sakata and had written down at the Brentford police station was specifically about a piece of clothing that Alison was wearing when Uh she vanished. And it wasn't just any bit of clothing. Apparently, Mike had described the little girl's underwear. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah, which sounds really fucking creepy. But when I think back to when I was a kid, I had crazy undies. Jen would buy all these sorts of undies with like patterns on them, um, loads of frills on the bum. You know, little kids actually, they don't just wear always, you know, white pants. Like, they're quite specific. And it's not something that would have been told to the newspapers like she was wearing a gray jumper or whatever so it's a very very specific thing to get right yeah and it is a super clue and really unique that is really really interesting and obviously only the mum would know Mm -hmm. what pants she was wearing that day but apparently Mike had also written down other things about a dog and a man that Mm -hmm. Alison called an uncle oh god and Mike said and these are his words The notes I had written down were powerful enough for the police to want me to go further with channeling Mm. Sakata. So he did. He called on Sakata again, who told him that he needed to do something that the police could see for themselves to prove that his info was real. Yeah. So Mike invited the police to a seance so they could see Mike's skills 
and how he was getting this information. So three Brentford detectives went round to his place for a seance. Detectives Brian Swan, Chris Wood and Frank Rivers, along with two of Mike's mates who were there as witnesses. Now, to quote Mike, he says, I put the letters of the alphabet on the table and the detectives put their finger on the glass and it started to move and the glass started to spell the name Jeff Fox. Now, he was a policeman who was shot dead in 1959 and who, it turns out, had been a close mate of Detective Brian Swan. Right. So Brian was a bit like, fuck. But then he wasn't so easily convinced that it would, was actually Jeff. So he said to this spirit Jeff, Jeff mate, maybe he didn't say mate, but it, anyway, he's like, Jeff, what car did you have when you were alive? And the glass spelled out Humber Hawk. Brian then said, what happened to the car that you had? And the glass spelled out, you bought it. Oh. And it was true. (gasps) So that was like some ticks right there. The detectives then asked what a policeman's favorite day of the month is. Mm. And it spelled out the letters A-R-K, which is police code for payday. Oh, okay. Issa Carter was doing all of this because, you know, he wanted to prove that He was really channeling spirit. You know, once all these things were kind of out of the way, it was game on. And time to get to the nitty gritty and ask the hard questions about what happened to Alison. Now, apparently, the glass spelled out the name Stanley Rogers. And a bit more digging revealed from the glass that a car was used in her abduction. And the car was parked at Chase Bridge Gardens in Witten. And also... And this blows my mind. The glass spelled out the registration number of the car. Oh. And that it was grey and red. Wow. Now, the police detectives were stunned and they immediately stopped the seance so they could go and check out whether this was true or bullshit. So they all jumped into police cars, including Mike, and they went to Chase Bridge Gardens. And when they got there, the police found a grey and red Hillman Minx with the same registration as what they were given in the seance. So the police were like, fuck. And they banged on the door of the house where the car was parked and they got the owner out of bed. But it was the wrong dude and the wrong car. So it's all really disappointing. But I think the number plate was a bit of a red herring because Mike was still convinced that Sakata's info was, was good. So they did a little digging into the name that they were given, which was Stanley Rogers. After they had a little look, a little investigation into Stanley Rogers, turns out he had owned a grey Cortina, but the week before Alison disappeared, he'd gone and had it resprayed red. So Sakata was right. It was grey and red. And he'd been trying to tell them that the car had changed colour. I don't really think that connects with the registration, but who knows. Unbeknownst to Mike, the police had already had Stanley Rogers on their radar as a suspect before Sakata had spelled out his name. Because it seems that Alison used to go over to Stanley Rogers' house every Saturday morning to play with Stanley's poodle Ricky and to take Ricky for a walk and the thing is 
Alison's mom had no idea about this. Oh, no. She had no idea that she was going over to some rando's house and walking their dog. And when the police interviewed Stanley to see if he had any information that might help them about Alison, he was like, don't know, don't know anything. Because the thing is, earlier I'd said Alison had gone missing on a Saturday and Alison every Saturday would go to Stanley Rogers' house. Right. So they did go and knock on his door, but he was like, no, no, don't know anything about it. When she left, she said she was going to a fate for the brownies. Then Mike's spirit guide, Sukata, told him that Alison was dead and that her body was in a fishing pond. Oh, no. So Mike gave this info to the police and they dredged a place called the Ford Bridge Angling Club, which... Club. I don't know why I said club. (laughs) Apparently, it's now Shepparton Marina. Before that, it had been a fishing pond. Sadly, they did find Alison's body there. Oh, that's devastating. Yep. The thing is, Stanley Rogers, he was apprehended. He was charged with her murder. And in court, he denied everything. Denied killing her. But the jury saw straight through him. And he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to 12 years. Which honestly actually doesn't seem like much to me. No, it doesn't. But as an aside, apparently when Stanley was in prison, he tried to get some other prisoner to confess to Alison's murder uh, in exchange for 30 grand. So, and in the process of all of that, he did confess to another prisoner that he killed Alison. After Mike's success with Alison's case... The Metropolitan Police called on him as a psychic advisor for the next 20 years, Georgie. Really? 20 years? Mm. Where he helped with several other murder investigations, but he didn't talk about those. And I did a quick light search, couldn't find anything. But maybe with a bit of sleuthing, I would be able to find some. That's the story of Mike and his... uh... Mike and his magic powers. (laughs) Magic Mike. (laughs) Magic Mike. Wow. I'm sorry that that was such a devastating story about, you know, missing child and everything. It didn't end well. But Mm. thank God for Mike. That guy might have been walking free. You know, sometimes it's worth listening. So there you go. Maybe he was an indigo child. Probably not. But Probably not. Just a psychic, you know. And a really ripped rugby player, by all accounts. <laughs> you should see the picture of him. I'll link to it. Can't wait. He's a beefcake, you know. But, uh, Mike. Good on you. Well, Michelle, I think that's about it for this week, you know. We've had a good old rollicking time talking about child psychics and Mike the psychic. <laughs> what have. a story. What a story. And really, Jordy, there's only one thing left to say. And what would that be, Michelle? Wherever you are. Oh, whatever you do, just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.